The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 48 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show podcast proudly presents to you this look at the decade of decadence. A little indulgence for your day, as we bring Saturday night to whenever you damn well please. So let's welcome to the stage your trio's tag team champions. The Master Library, Kevin, it's Tricky Hellions. The Educator of Access. And Sweet Maddie Treats. As they bring to you Saturday night's main event. The House Show Podcast Way. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Matty Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my right is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator, how you doing? Oh, we are back to school. No more of the whole owl remote learning. I am COVID-free, thank goodness. I got my second COVID vaccine. So I'll it'll officially supposedly sit in within a week and a half, two weeks where I'm going to be immune, at least 95 percent or so immune to covid. So we'll, we'll see whether or not that really happens. Still going to walk around with a face mask on at all times. Doesn't matter. Uh, trying to do my part and reduce the transmission, baby. Yeah. So even though you will not be experiencing the symptoms from COVID, you can still transmit it, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. You can still be a carrier. And just because it does not affect you doesn't mean that you can't pass it off to anybody else. All right. I like it. You know, you're, you're a very responsible adult there, Kevin, uh, there, Matt. That was it, Kevin. <laughs> Do what he's I can. Not a, he's not a responsible adult. Not at all. Nope. No. All right. Let's talk to the unresponsible one, Mr. Kevin Hallians. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Jeez, I've never been called an adult before. I've been tried as one, but um, <laughs> Simpsons line. <laughs> as I'm getting a look. So, guys, Wait, I was gonna say, do you have anything, or was that it? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I got something here. All right, cool. So, um, we put the show out on Thursdays, talk about wrestling, and and Thursday, while there's independent stuff, it's the one night a week that there's not like a major U.S. promotion with a new show. So. Us having the Thursday there at Odds Goes Up Thursday. It's kind of like a good spot for a wrestling podcast. Um, if we were going to do a podcast that was about like, hey, here's what we think is going to happen on Raw, when would be a good time to release that? Probably either Saturday or Sunday. No, I would probably say Thursday. <laughs> if, if you just want to talk about what's coming up on the next episode of Raw. Yeah, the Saturday or Sunday right before Raw. No, I would do Tuesday then after yeah because you would have you would do tuesday for the next week you would have raw in the and you want to get your most look at talking podcast you want to get your most listens before the next episode so you would want to release it on tuesday and why i guess well it makes sense while raw is just if you're only talking about raw yeah okay okay let me all right all right maybe i'm maybe i'm streamlining it too much by only talking about raw let me change this 
educator. I know it's a used game store, but let's say it was brand new games. What day of the week do brand new games usually come out on? Friday. Friday. Okay. If your store was going to be closed one day of the week, what day would you not be closed on then? Not be closed on Friday. Thank you. So I was in my hometown visiting family recently, and I thought, you know, I would like to buy some comics. You know, going to a new store and all. So I call one of the local stores up, or uh, Facebook messaged them rather. I'm like, hey, COVID era, I'm just curious, what are your hours? What are your policies? Are you limiting number of people in the store or whatever? Uh, they say curbside only. Okay, well, I wanted to browse. I don't have a pull list there, so we're already a negative. And uh, we're closed Wednesdays. Wednesday's new comic book day. Wednesday's been new comic book day for like 30 years plus. So the day of the week that the brand new ones are out is the day that you're closed. And you're doing curbside only. So the people that would want brand new books on a Wednesday that know what they have and could call you up and say, can you bring me up my books? Here's money. You're just not open that day. Trying to understand this as a business model. Yeah, it's a little, little different. Yeah, it's a little disappointing. They didn't get my curbside money either. I took it elsewhere. You, you took it to another curb? I took it to another curb. <laughs> I, I, I went I went down to State Street Market and bought comics there. How did you? Oh, cool. Yeah. Find a street walker. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, guys, uh, big news. I mean, huge news. Literally huge news. Uh, Kevin, last time I was, one of the last times I was at your apartment, what did I do? Um, Walked away while Declan was on the changing table and he almost rolled over and landed on the ground. What? Why was I yeah. changing? I wasn't changing. You weren't. We were having a discussion while I was changing his diapers, and I thought you as an adult, when I turned around to get something behind me, would monitor him and said, you turned around as well. And that's the thing I know, my kid's rolling off the changing table. Well, that explains a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Parent I don't remember that. Of the year. <laughs> I don't remember that. It's all right. He does. No. Because of the day, because of the day Matt hurt me. What is wrong with you? What's wrong out. with you? Walking we might as well just child. start the, this podcast anew. Uh, no, seriously, Kevin. Uh, one thing that I did at your apartment that disgusted you, what was it? I mean, as much as I want to give a smartest response here, I believe what you're going for is the double-decker, whatever the heck it was called, chicken sandwich from KFC, which is two pieces of chicken with, with like a, a slice of Kraft Singles in the middle. Yes. The double down, Kevin. Oh, God. Just get rid of the buns. Just give me the buns. Oh, I think I know where you're going. Um, so, guys, this is huge news. Arby's. Yeah. Just, just in time for Lent. <laughs> has brought out the Meat Mountain Sandwich, folks. Isn't that an NXT UK tag team? I thought it was the nickname for Braun Strowman. Oh. Uh-huh. Wait, wasn't he calling himself the Meat Mountain? I don't know. I don't know. I thought, uh, I thought this, he was the Snowpiercer train. So let me just let me just read this, okay? The biggest sandwich Arby's has ever sold, stacked ridiculously high with almost all the meats. Two chicken tenders, slices of roast turkey, pit smoked ham, corned beef. 13-hour smoked brisket, USDA choice Angus steak, roast beef, and pepper bacon. (gasps) 
There's also cheddar and Swiss cheese somewhere in there. I mean, how good does that look? Oh, the picture that they put up looks yeah. fantastic. The but if you would like to look in your... versus the reality, not the same thing. Yeah, I just sent you both the picture of it if you hadn't seen it yet, of reality. Kevin, why would you send me a photo of reality? <laughs> Let's see if we could find the nutritional facts on this. <laughs> oh my god. How many, what do you think the... Um, calorie count on? Calorie count on the meat mountain sandwich would be? 1,200. Just the sandwich? Yeah. No, it's higher than that. You think um, so? 22. Nah, I don't think it's that much. I, twelve hundred. Survey says. Drum roll, please. Oh, you found it. Twelve hundred and seventy-five. Yes, baby. Oh, did you see the salt listed too? Looks bad. Thirty-five milligrams of salt. I just have a saline drip hooked right to you at that point. So if you got ten dollars for the sandwich only, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you got the sandwich and then you, you get a large curly, oh yeah, and you get the cheese sauce on the you side, gotta get the cheese, yeah. I mean, you got. What to. about horsey sauce? Oh, I love horsey. You got it. And the barbecue options, options baby. Although horse, horsey and the barbecue on the side. I'd probably drizzle horsey all over it. You like that white drizzle I all over it? I regret every bit of this. <laughs> Just that white drizzle all over your meat mountain, Kevin? Your meat mountain with a white drizzle. I mean, do you think you could get your your mouth around the meat mountain? <laughs> with all the sauce dripping. I said cumin. I misunderstood. No, in all honesty, Kevin, how would you how would you eat a meat mountain? I mean, would you just shove it in your mouth, or would you take like you take a hand and you press it down, and then try to get it into more of a bite size bit there? Just gotta squish it down. Probably goes everywhere. So you squish the meat. Squish it down, right? Yeah, yeah. You just gotta pound it. So you you do a little ground and pound to your meat mountain. Yeah. yeah. All the sauce comes out. How else you can fit in your mouth? Uh, so yeah, you get a large, large curly cheese sauce, large Mountain Dew. That's a weekend. Oh, that's all to... you're doing. You're going to eat it and then you're going to pass out and regret your life decisions. How great would that be though, guys? Just picture this. You leave your wife's. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to Rochester. You come to Rochester. We go to a toy store. We have sweatpants on. We get meat mountains. <laughs> We drizzle the white all over it. We shove it in our mouths, and then we pass out from pure meat mountain bliss. Oh, we wake up from food comas clutching wrestling buddies. <laughs> I'm spooning DiBiase. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's got a price. Everyone's got a price. Uh, so anyways, why don't we get right into it, guys? We are talking Saturday night's main event number eight. Um, this is live from Los Angeles, California at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. Uh, the date that it took place was November 15th, 1986, but it aired on November 29th, 1986. 
guys, they're in L.A. They made a big deal out of this. You could tell how much McMahon loves these uh, these big name cities uh, with how much promo uh, this got on Saturday night's main event number seven. I mean, they were talking about this uh, on the previous Saturday night's main event, just about how they're going to be in L.A., Hollywood. Absolutely. And this is uh same arena that eventually down the road, WrestleMania seven would emanate from uh, crazy to think about the crowd here. Uh, the crowd set for Saturday night's main event was booked or was listed at 16,000 fans. WrestleMania seven only did 145 more fans at 16,145. Really? Yeah. Crazy. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Huh. Same setup, same thing with the whole diagonal entrance from the corner coming out to the ring. You probably remember the whole Miss Elizabeth angle, her sitting at ringside along oh, that yeah. diagonal. Yeah, same setup and everything. Yeah, so we are greeted with um, what happened overnight, guys. Jesse the Body Ventura has hair now. Oh, flowing locks. A better than Hogan's wig during their Halloween Havoc series. True. Oh, you take your you take that back. I love Hogan's hair from that Halloween Havoc. <laughs> Where does this rank in, in with when it comes to like toupees? So you got Jesse the Body, Hogan's, and then of course the Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Angle. Kurt, All Kurt, Kurt Angles. Angle. I love that with the headgear. Fantastic. Finkel at WrestleMania ten. Yeah, Finkel mm-hmm. with the hair club for men. All right. Molly Holly. She a fake hair. When she, she got her head shaved. Head after shaved. The, it. Yeah. Uh, Kane. When he unmasks. Oh, that's true. You know what? That's I'm probably the best. Kane number one because that fooled everyone. Yeah. Like that was fantastic swerve. What, what didn't fool anyone was Taker when he had already shaved his head and there oh, were God. pictures of him and then he still came back and had the wig. And then, you know, he showed that the hell in the cell at Mania with Taker or with Triple H. Yeah. No one was buying that. That wig was so obviously fake. So anyways, we, once again, at the top of the show, we're getting, you know, a lot of little tidbits. Uh, we get Jake the Snake with Damien talking about how they're going to squeeze the Macho Man. We get Macho with Liz, to, uh, and Macho wants Liz to rub it out for him. Mm-hmm. Classic Can't. Intercontinental title. Got to keep it clean. Yeah, it I, all out. I cannot say I disagree with Macho at all in this segment. Yeah. Uh, we get Coco Beware. Uh, of course, Roddy Piper. Jimmy Hart with the Hart Foundation. And naturally... Hawk Hogan. Uh, anything to gleam from these uh, these top of the uh, top of the show intros from the wrestlers that are going to partake in it? Uh, anything that sticks out besides you know really I think the the top two, uh, Jake the Snake and Macho, which is going to be our lead match here. Uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart and his cadence I liked as yeah. well. <laughs> My, you know with the killer bees and mocking the how you can swat them, spray them. That's yeah, great. Yeah. It- I, I saw Heart Foundation. I was thrilled. I was like, oh, great. This is going to be, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see them coming in WWF now. Whatever match we'll see. And then Anvil just starts. I thought, wow, where was this? I forgot he was so talented. And then uh, when Jesse and Vince are opening the show, uh, was there a dark match going on in the ring behind them? I couldn't tell. I wasn't really paying attention. I was more yeah, I, listening to them. Yeah, I couldn't tell who was in it, but there's definitely something happening. Yeah, as Kevin alluded to, uh, Vince McMahon and Jesse, the body Ventura, are our commentators. Uh, we follow that up with Mean Gene talking with Jake the Snake and Damien and uh, Educator. Uh, what was your favorite line from uh, Jesse the Body here coming back? We get the interview and we get a very scared 
uh, Mean Gene Okerlund, frightened to be near Jake Roberts, frightened to be next to to Damian, and he's he's just trembling in fear. And we come back, and, and and Jesse Ventura making fun of Mean Gene Okerlund, saying, you know, I don't know if Gene is holding a microphone or a vibrator. It's family friendly television, baby. At eleven thirty at night. At <laughs> hey, we're still we're still getting to that zero to eleven audience, baby. <laughs> That's who we're targeting. Yeah, this isn't a shotgun Saturday night. <laughs> Not true, true. I mean, speaking of the adult themes, though, here, I'm digging the whole Macho Liz characters for this part of it. Um, and, and I'm working under assumption that it is fully character. But, man, you can see how much people hated him and how much people loved her. Right. And just, you know, thought that they were saving her, protecting her, you know, wanting the best. She's fantastic, and he looks like an awful person. And it's God, they're playing their roles so well for here. It's just money. I think everyone growing up knows the sweetest girl in the world's dating the biggest uh, dirtbag and right. uh, not treating her right. I mean, we all can uh, probably say, "Oh yeah, I know that person. I I, I worked with that person, or I I did that." So. That's why we went to Denny's and why I played that Stained album way too many times. <laughs> oh, remember the Lonely Hearts Club, Kevin? Oh, God. You and Ricky? You were there, too, sometimes. Oh, we were pathetic. This is how you remind me of what I really am. It's not like you say I'm sorry. I think that was your theme song, Kevin. There, there was quite a few theme songs back then. New metal hit at just the right time. <laughs> yeah. Can we can we do a podcast where we talk about Kevin's sad stories? God. Is that going to be... Uh, it's going to be a long-ass pod. That's going to have to be like a three-parter. Is that going to be the, mon- the Monday Season 4 series? What? Season 4. 20 years ago, we relieved Kevin's relationships. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky Season 5 will be me and JC. No. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to raise a kid when I'm 17. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, let's get right into match number one on the card, which is Jake the Snake Roberts with Damien. Take it on the Macho Man with Liz. Uh, question for you guys. Who's the face and who's the heel? I mean, uh, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't in that, but you later in the match, I really think that this airing on TV and the crowd response. I really think this was the precipice that decided that Vince decided to go with Jake in a different direction and uh, start feuding with honky tonk. You know, we're about three, four months away uh, from wrestle. I mean, this is November 29th. This is airing on TV. So we're about four, four and a half months away from WrestleMania and eventually what will be uh, a face turn on the snake pit after the attack with honky tonk man. But the crowd was really into Jake Roberts and at multiple points chanting DDT, DDT, DDT. So yeah, I mean, this is a fa- uh, a heel versus heel matchup right now. And the finish smas is the only way really. So that one isn't harmed by the other taking a pinfall loss or whatever. Uh, but I just, it's weird to see this heel versus heel matchup here on Saturday night's main event. You can easily take a guy whose gimmick is to put snakes on his face opponents and put the snake on his heel opponents. 
Like, that's easy. You're not really changing the whole law. It's just of, of his gimmick or anything. You're just changing who he fights. It's going to be tougher to do a face turn for the current angle untouched of a domestic beef storyline. So, so what do you guys think of this opening match? I mean, I thought this was really good. It was a great back and forth Brilliant. match. Uh, brilliant for the finish where neither guy is really harmed by the booking uh, and so on. Um, the, like I said, the, the crowd response uh, enchanting DDT, DDT. I really think this was kind of like what started the momentum of going in a different direction with Jake for a while. Um, honestly, good match. And also, I think the most intense match so far. Like, just even feeling each other out, collar and elbow was intense. Like, just two really, you know, passionate people with their work there. I think that's a lot. That's a lot just with Randy Savage in general. I think that this in the 80s, he's really tight with his stuff. Yeah. And and Jake, clearly someone that can hang with him for it, too. Yeah. And what of um, a ref bump by Hebner during this? God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked at how how awesome that uh, that that bump out, was out on the table. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it was fantastic. But anyways, educator, why don't you break this one down for us? So we kind of see at the start of the match, both men are in the ring. Jake has Damien and uh, Macho Man is using Liz kind of as a shield hiding behind uh, Elizabeth as Elizabeth first tried to scurry away as Jake approached. And then eventually, as Macho Man supposedly defends her honor, he goes after Jake, but Jake then threatens to take the snake out, and he now is scurrying behind Liz. So we get the cowardly heel kind of antics by Macho Man Randy Savage to start the match. Uh, once the snake's in the corner, once Liz is out of the ring, both men are ready to go. We see trading arm twists back and forth between Macho Man and Jake. Harry Yanks to pull each other down. We see Jake Roberts with an arm drag takedown uh, for to take Randy Savage down. Eventually, both men uh, get lock up, and we get a standing side headlock by Jake Roberts, and a takeover, uh, kind of uh, rolling over takeover. Both men are kind of pulling on each other's hair. Eventually, they get back on their feet. Jake tries for a DDT, but Randy Savage ends up scurrying out onto the floor. Jake Roberts ends up following Savage out onto the floor. Savage, uh, Savage sneaks back into the ring. He ends up hitting the ropes. And Jake ends up stomping Randy Savage in the gut uh, as he tries to fire in a counter. Uh, Randy Savage counters and ends up uh, backing Jake Roberts into the corner. We see Savage with a corner Irish whip. And Jake ends up reversing that attempt. Savage hits the corner hard. We see Jake the Snake Roberts charging into the corner after Savage hit, and Savage ends up raising his knees as Jake the Snake Roberts essentially crashes and burns into, into the uh, double knees into the abdomen. Randy Savage goes for the pinfall, only gets a two-count from referee Dave Hebner. We see Savage ramming Jake's head into the canvas a few times and another pinfall attempt only for a two. Randy Savage does a leaping knee drop onto Jake's head and another pinfall attempt for a two-count. Randy Savage with an elbow to Jake Roberts, and he ends up hitting the ropes and dropping a double axe handle also on a downed Roberts. Randy Savage Jake uh, drapes Jake Roberts throat first over the rope and does a slingshot maneuver to yank Jake back onto the canvas into the ring. We get another two fall, uh, two, uh, two count pinfall attempt as Jake was able to get his foot onto the ropes. 
Savage gets Jake's arms locked in uh, into the ropes, very similar to how Andre the Giant would get his arms tied up into the ropes. Savage ends up putting, uh, climbs out of the ring and takes the Damien Snake uh, bag uh, from the corner and ends up hiding it under the ring. And we end up cutting to commercial break as Savage is doing that. When we come back from commercial break, we see Roberts was able to get his arms free from the ropes. As Savage is climbing through the ropes to get back into the ring after hiding Damien under the ring, we see Jake Roberts hitting a knee lift to Randy Savage. Uh, the Snake Man ends up going out onto the floor to get the bag with Damien. Randy Savage tries to hit a clothesline, uh, but Jake ends up catching Savage and hits a short arm clothesline uh, back in the ring, and we get a two count. Fans are just audibly cha- uh, chanting DDT, DDT. Jake Roberts hits his uh, a front uh, face smashing suplex. It's the first maneuver of the night that we see here that ends up becoming a finishing maneuver for a future superstar. As he does this front face drop suplex, this would eventually become one man gangs finishing maneuver during his uh, initial run as the one man gang in the WWF snake hits that front face smashing suplex onto Savage gets a two count. Uh, We see Jake basically, um, Doing a whole bunch of left and right hands to continue to knock Savage down on the canvas with a series of lefts and rights. Roberts goes for another DDT attempt, but again, Randy Savage ends up scurrying out onto the floor. Savage does the cowardly action of uh, using Elizabeth as another shield and starts cowering behind Elizabeth. Jake Roberts gets frustrated out on the floor as Elizabeth is between them. So Jake Roberts turns around, starts walking back towards the corner apron where uh, the Damien is. But Savage ends up uh, chasing him and laying a knee into the back, which causes the momentum of Jake Roberts to slam his body into the ring post. Eventually, Savage uh, climbs back into the ring, climbs to the top rope and leaps off of the top rope to the floor with a double axe handle onto Jake Roberts. Savage ends up sending Jake Roberts back into the ring. He climbs to the top rope again and does a double axe handle uh, off the top rope into the ring onto Jake, knocking him down. He goes for a pinfall attempt and gets a two count from the referee. Savage again goes to the top rope for a third double axe handle attempt. Uh, but Snake ends up catching him as he's coming down with a shot to the gut uh, mid-flight. Both men start brawling back and forth, and in doing so, we first see uh, Randy Savage end up throwing the referee to the side, and then Jake Roberts in the middle of the melee ends up pushing the referee out on the side. And uh, the second time that that Hebner gets tossed, uh, by one of the uh, combatants, he ends up rolling out on like the timekeeper's table, taking a pretty pretty decent bump, and he ends up calling the calling the match off, calling for the disqualification. Both men end up getting disqualified uh, for putting their hands on the referee. Post match, Jake ends up getting Damien out of the bag, and he ends up draping him over Randy Savage's body, who scurries out of the ring and ends up running back to the locker room uh, with Elizabeth. So we mentioned earlier about, you know, what they're getting away with and, and certain things being said at the 1130 hour, a little later now, I gotta imagine a man putting a snake in a woman's face was a bit of innuendo for the time there as Jake starts off the match. Um, what I noticed, educator, you might know better than me, but like 
we've talked about certain people selling, overselling, bumping very well, but Macho does some moves here that it, it doesn't seem like he's bouncing or or just moving with the flow of the match or selling. It seems like he's almost recoiling from the ropes. Like it's almost like he hits it and he springs off, not under his right. own control. Right. But that the ropes are just so tight that he his body has no other way it can react. Actually, WWF was known at the time in the 80s, the, the ropes were the exact opposite. Very, very loose. Oh, really? And uh, were known to, and that ended up causing that recoil action to be a lot more than what you would normally expect. Yeah, he had some where it doesn't seem like running the ropes or bumping. He just seems like not in control of his movement anymore. Right. Um, macho more so than Jake. So I, I got to imagine as people went up, onto the top ropes and top, top turnbuckles more. You got to tighten up the ropes just to Absolutely. Balance. Yeah. I mean, at some point you'd have guys that climb up to the top rope and their body weight. And, and I'm not talking like super heavy guys, but you know, your average size guys, like their weight would actually push the top rope and the turnbuckle almost down, practically touching the middle rope. I feel like I can remember that a few times yeah. now that you mentioned that. Um. Uh, oh, and then the, the multiple, like, feet on the rope spots w- right. was turning into a work of art here right like so well done it's such a simple move very easy could be done in any era but i'm getting invested in this i really like in some matches we'll see it and it's clear who's gonna win you know either because we know the title reigns or or just you know place on the roster or whatever i had no idea who's gonna win this or how like i was wrapped up in this match like it was brand new happening live for tonight um, but that being said, honestly, probably the best ending you can do considering they're both heels, considering where they on the, are, are on the card characters moving up, probably the best option for it. I'm, you know, I'm all right with it. And not, what was it? Halloween havoc that we kept getting ticked off for the endings. I'm not there yet. So far, the DQ endings are fine. <laughs> yeah. I wonder too, if that's because. You know, these are kind of periodic events. They're not month to month, so we're not seeing the continuation of storylines. We're, we're kind of picking things up mid-storyline or the beginning or the end, um, whereas it seems like with Halloween Havoc, it, I mean, it was one after another, count out, count out. Um, you know, we know on these shows, case in point, when we get a Hogan match, you know he's going to win. So, I mean, we're, yeah. seeing, we're seeing finishes on these shows, so... To see a double DQ at the end of this match, it, it doesn't really stick out because, you know, pretty much we've only seen we may get one of those a night rather than three to four to five on on the actual show. So and it's it's interesting that this particular match happens um, the timeline in terms of how it is. This is November of, of 86. So the angle with. I mean, we, we've just reviewed how Jake Roberts and, and Ricky Steamboat, they had the, we, the one spot with the big DDT on the floor that legit knocked out Steamboat. And then we had a follow-up match on Saturday Night's Main Event where both, you know, Steamboat had the, the, the dragon, which was, what, what was it, an alligator we've determined, um, smaller alligator. And then, you know, obviously Jake Roberts with his Damien in the ring. So they, they really, I don't know if they've, at this point had finished that feud, you know, Randy Savage has been on and off with George the animal steel and dealing with that particular feud as well. They have not done the angle yet. I don't believe, uh, this is November of 86 with Ricky steamboat 
and the whole, you know, Savage leaping off the top rope with the timekeeper's bell, jamming it into Steamboat's throat and setting up. They have not set up that WrestleMania three feud yet. So it's crazy how they're kind of intertwining a bunch of feuds by having the two heel foils in those feuds go at it. And eventually Steamboat's going to transition from the Jake Roberts feud now into a Randy Savage feud. Um, so we follow that up with a flashback, a WWF flashback, uh, and it's showing Bobby Heenan buying Hercules from Slick. Uh, I loved this little kind of segment to see how Heenan was growing his Heenan family, if you will. I, I, I guess I'm a little confused why there was so much heat with Hercules later down the road. I mean, he didn't seem to care that, you know, Slick sold you know, Hercules to Bobby Heenan and he was fine with Bobby Heenan being the manager. But when down the road, Bobby Heenan ended up selling Hercules to Ted DiBiase. I think that's what it was. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? Why, why that was such a, a big deal in Hercules's mind. I just, I don't get it. No, no, I would say sometimes in life, something happens once and you're just kind of so shocked by it that you roll with it and don't really say anything. But then it stews in your head and you're like, I really should have spoken up. So that didn't happen. So then when it happens again, you're not speaking up for the one time you're speaking up for the two times. Yeah. So we follow that up with mean Gene Okerlund interviewing Bobby, the brain Heenan with Hercules. Um, and then we get mean Gene with Hogan and guys, we get the, this is where the power lies promo. Um, so question, and I'm going to open this up to uh, Kevin Hellions. Let's get your opinion first. Okay. Where does this rank on memorable Hogan promos? Now, in my opinion, we, number one has to be Bash at the Beach. NWO formation. Is this up there? I mean, is this top five? Uh, yes. Um, between this is where the power lies and, quote, hung and bung, all, both in the same promo. I think that you need to if you're gonna if you're gonna put all these classic promos on a board, I think you need to draw a line between these are above par you know, excellent promos for some reason. Um, we don't know the, what the reason is, but we'll put these separate. So let's it's already on the board. Let's draw some sort of line with a material that's might be kind of like white and powdery, and we'll draw a line there. And assume that there's some reason why these promos are better or more entertaining that we can't quite put our our fingers or or you know get our noses into it and figure it out. And then all the other ones are more average promos uh, later on. But if we're going to talk about fantastic promos here, I I think that Bobby the Brain Heenan cutting a promo while massaging Hercules's massive traps is uh, quite interesting as well. He just could not keep his hands off Hercules, his new charge there. I don't know what the details of this contract were, but, you know, maybe Hercules should have read the fine print there. Yeah, so educator, uh, back to my original question before we went on a a Bobby <laughs> really Heenan tangent there. Bobby Heenan massaging the meat mountain known as Hercules. Uh, <laughs> where does this rank for Hogan Provos? Uh, I would definitely say the Bash at the Beach would be, the for me, the most memorable. Uh, I don't I, I guess I must have missed uh, the, the this part of the promo. I mean, it's it's certainly a legendary uh, a moment and one of, of one of Hogan's uh, keepsake, you know, 
things that he has said over over the course of years that a lot of people remember. I, I must have I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention to the promo or whatnot. I complete honestly, I completely missed this. So didn't stay it didn't really stand out to me that much. Well what did you think of the match? I liked the match. I liked the latch a lot. I thought commentary, Jesse Ventura was fantastic with color on commentary, really laying in the heat with Dave Hebner being kind of like shady and favoritism towards Hogan. Uh Impressed with Hercules getting Hogan up for the torture rack backbreaker, Hercules backbreaker. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this match. And I really like the fact that we've got Hogan going through all these different uh, opponents. It's not the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, same finish. Hogan must win. Hogan must pose. But it's he's really like... To me, he's really lending credence to the WWF Championship, and he's defending it and being active on all of these shows. And, yeah, I mean, it's great that he's taking on all these different challengers of makes and and styles and body types and so on. I like this particular match. Hercules was huge here, jacked to the gills. Like, he might be the biggest muscle-wise opponent that Hogan's had so far. And I'm just shocked that no one did anything with him. Like, I feel like if he had just a little better wrestling skills, he would have held a ton of titles. Like just his size is incredible on here. He he definitely had to look and I'm surprised it didn't get marketed more. Yeah. At this point though, they were just trying to feed anyone to Hogan. I mean, oh, it's, it's a Hogan show. Yeah. I mean, it's every, every month, every, every two, three months, there's a, there's a new person, which is, I mean, if that's the formula, that's, that's fine. Um, so educator, why don't you go ahead and break down this match? I mean, you seemed pretty high on it. So why don't you, uh, you go ahead. I like the combination of gear that Hogan was wearing here. He's got his traditional yellow, uh, gear on, but he's combining it with the blue, Knee pads here kind of you know, lets things stand out. We start the match with a test of strength with Hercules overcoming, uh, double knuckling down Hogan, got him down on one knee. Eventually, Hogan is able to power back, but Hercules with an awesome headbutt into the chest of Hogan to knock him down. We see Hernandez with a big bear hug and picks up Hogan and charges him into the corner. Hercules with a bunch of big forearms and elbows. We see Hercules do an Irish whip to Hogan towards the opposite corner, but Hogan is able to reverse that Irish whip attempt and he launches Hercules to the corner and ends up following up with a big avalanche clothesline. We see Hulk Hogan with two right hands. Hogan does an Irish whip. Hercules ends up ducking the clothesline attempt by Hogan, but Hogan ends up following up with a running knee as he rebounds off of the opposing ropes, knocking Hercules down. Uh, At this time, we see Bobby Heenan up on the apron, frustrated uh, with uh, Hogan getting the upper hand. Hogan turns around, sees Heenan, and ends up giving chase. Bobby Heenan drops down to the floor, ends up running a lap around the ring. Hogan following, chasing Heenan. Eventually, Bobby Heenan scurries under the bottom rope, gets into the ring, runs to the opposite side of the ring, and does an amazing dive over the top rope. He ends up hooking his arm in a way so that when he flies over the top rope, he's able to land feet first onto the floor. It's a really cool running bump for a a manager to fly over the top rope as a means to try to escape Hogan, uh, but ends up... uh, As Hercules tries to uh, get involved in this chase, 
Hogan ends up hitting Hercules with a big boot. He ends up doing a big scoop body slam, hits the ropes to do the leg drop attempt, thinking that the end of the match is near. But Hercules actually rolls out of the way of Hogan's big leg drop. Um, and like the crowd was stunned. McMahon was actually audibly stunned as Hogan ended up missing the big leg drop. Hernandez gets up with an Irish whip to Hulk Hogan in the corner. Hogan hits back first into the corner turnbuckle hard and ends up crashing to the canvas. We see Hercules following up with a bunch of knees to Hogan's back. Hercules picks up Hogan and begins to work on a bear hug to continue to work down the back in the middle of the ring. Hercules scoops up Hogan and ends up dropping him over his knee for a backbreaker and keeps Hogan positioned over his knee to continue to work on that lower back. We see Hercules impressively pick up Hulk Hogan for his version of Lex Luger's, you know, human torture rack. I don't know if Luger was doing this yet. I don't think even Luger was in NWA yet at this point. But when we think of the backbreaker, uh, we think of Lex Luger's version of the human torture rack. Hercules was doing this in WWF back in 86, 85, 86. He gets Hogan up in the torture rack and he's got Hogan shaking up there. And, you know, Jesse Ventura is on commentary. Look, he's shaking his head. No, he submits. He submits. And ref, you know, the referee didn't call for a submission, but Hercules ends up dropping Hogan on the canvas after about 10 to 12 seconds, starts walking around the ring thinking that he's won. But in reality, Hogan has not uh, won the match or Hercules hasn't won the match. Hercules decides to go for a pinfall attempt and we get the typical Hulk Hogan Hulk up where Hogan kicks out at two. Uh, Hercules goes for a few right hands, but Hogan ends up rebounding and hits three right hands and then runs the ropes and hits a running fourth right hand to knock Hercules down. He ends up hitting the rope and throwing an elbow to the top of Her Hercules' forehead. Hogan rams Hercules into multiple corners, uh, turnbuckles. Hogan does the big Irish whip into the ropes, hits the big boot, drops the leg, and gets the one, two, three pinfall and another successful title defense for Hulk Hogan. I gotta say, I was impressed with Hulk Hogan's uh, Blue Tista knee pads, just like yourself there. Um, did you also catch Hogan's like super creepy look directly into the camera? Like he was staring through time and space into our souls 30 something years later. That's crazy. No, I miss I must have oh, missed that too. Crazy. How all, all this Hogan stuff that I'm missing. Um I the the match of the or sorry, the move of the match was the test of strength and her getting his head under and picking up Hogan while so locked in. I thought, oh my god, that's fantastic. Yeah. That makes what could look like just a, a stupid kind of move because really that move can be dumb or it can be really something depending on who's doing it match oh look fantastic i was into it i'm like i've never seen someone do that while you know doing the test of strength i've never seen that happen before um brain here going to the adrian adonis school of bumps i mean like i i think hogan got his bumps in the back during that promo but bobby getting some bumps in here what? That dive over the rope is great. I mean, he just flails, like literally starfishes his body over that top rope, hooks his arm just perfectly, his right arm, so that he literally feet go completely 
three o'clock to 12 o'clock to nine o'clock right down to the floor and he lands it perfectly it's fantastic i mean even with him hooking his arm i'm shocked it didn't rip it out of socket or something too though like geez i'm like he's got the most dramatic dangerous move of the night here and he's the manager who's probably already had neck surgery or something by this point too like bobby's fantastic i my my appreciation of managers and and heels bumping and all for Saturday night's main event is increased like more so than in your house did or Halloween havoc or anything else. I've been amazed by it. God, so much fun. I, I still think like Hercules, he never held title in WWE. I think power and glory was a great idea for him. Cause Paul Roma could be the wrestler of the two and her could come and do the power moves, which he, right. he showed here. He's fantastic at, but didn't he, like remind me what character i know he went to wcw under a mask like real short super super, or super invader super invader right and he was from, from the bangkok thailand you know he was in a sat masked assassin kind of deal but uh, one of the clash of the champions or t- television tapings the the camera guy got way too close and you could see herc's face through the mask and it was super obvious who it was and, and that's so weird because I'm like, I would think Hercules would be a more marketable name than, you know, Super Invader there. But maybe it's like, hey, we've done all we can with Hercules. Let's put him under mask and try something else. I guess I'm sure I'm sure McMahon had that Hercules trademarked. Oh, true. I didn't even think of that yeah. by then. Um, and also McMahon constantly putting over Hogan no matter what else. What a physique for Hogan. This is the second. Saturday night's main event in a row here. The first one being Paul Orndorff where Hulk's opponent, I think has the better body than Hulk. Absolutely. Yeah, Vince is putting over Hulk the whole time. Like my eyes are not broken here, Vince. I can see yeah. Herc is bigger and Paul Orndorff is just flat out more chiseled. More, than more defined and chiseled. Absolutely. Now I was, um, cause we were talking last episode about, uh, Orndorff turning on Hogan and then Andre turning on Hogan shortly after here. Um, so a uh, friend of ours over ads with wrestling, Joe messaged me that the story was because of Andre having surgery, that this Paul, the Paul, Paul Orndorff stuff was happening. So if Andre couldn't do mania three, they could put Orndorff in there. Orndorff was, gonna, was going to be a before. substitute. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was oh, aware of that. That's crazy. I mean, it makes and everything. The, and make they so were going to use this. They were going to use what will be a future angle and the outcome of the match as justification for being able to slip him in for uh, the rematch at mania. It, 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 I could see it. It totally works. I would have bought it here and all. Um, and then speaking of setting up for a future angle, I'm wondering if this is setting up the double Hepner angle here too, with the way Hepner refereed the match in Hogan's favor here. Right. I mean, that double Hebner is gosh, that's a year and a quarter away. Oh, true. Yeah, it's February of '88 when that went down. I could see the wheels spinning now, though. Right. Well, I mean, they're both working at this point. They're both working. One as a backstage agent, and the other on. And it's weird because it ended up because this Dave, Dave was known to be the referee. I mean, he had refed in NWA and so on, and then they both get hired, and Earl's working backstage. And, you know, all that stuff. And over time, they ended up flipping roles where Earl becomes the referee 
uh, most notably known for like refing like Shawn Michaels matches and so on. And then Dave ends up becoming a backstage agent and ends up, you know, do, becoming like camera time, like breaking up brawls and stuff like that. So we follow that up with Jesse the Body Ventura um, talking with Cowboy Bob Orton and Jimmy Hart in their favorite restaurant, apparently. Yeah, this is uh, Jesse the Body Ventura's, you know, neighborhood here, old Hollywood. So taking them out to his favorite restaurant and Jesse's giving them pointers as to what's good on the menu and what to avoid. Um, I know it's been a long time COVID era since either of us or uh, any three of us have been able to sit inside of a restaurant. So my memory might be hazy, but one of the things on the front sign is no shirt, no shoes, no service. So I'm not sure how Cowboy Bob was going to get served there. Well, he had his cast on. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. On the menu, you think the meat mountain sandwich is on that menu? <laughs> I guess no. No. All right. It was that night. It was that night. Uh, so then we followed that up with a Cowboy Bob Orton Roddy Piper music video. Music montage showing the good times when they used to be BFFs. Tell me a lie. <laughs> uh, how great was that? Oh, it was fantastic. They were best buds. I, I think it was uh, number one the following week on 1-800-DIAL-MTV. <laughs> I believe Adam Curry introduced it. Um, and then we get Mean Gene talking with uh, Rowdy Piper. I was Rowdy before Rowdy was cool. Really? This this has really been some great interview segments and stuff. I yeah. mean, this has been a pretty good, you know, up to this point, a really good uh, episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. Yeah, very much. And more great stuff to come. Tag match is great. I can't wait to go over that. Yeah. And then uh, match number three on the card is Cowboy Bob with Jimmy Hart. And Don Morocco taking on Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, what'd you think of this one? Short, quick, to the point, you know, getting Piper over. Uh, little shenanigans at the start with Morocco getting thrown out uh, near the start of the match here. But uh, continuing on the whole storyline of Piper overcoming the odds and uh, getting a win over Cowboy Bob Orton. Piper's entertaining, still like him, icon, Hall of Famer, everything. But I'm seeing certain things in his work throughout Saturday Night's Main Event. I'm not quite there on on how I feel or my theory yet, but something's, I don't know. His matches are very short, constantly, which a lot of them are in Saturday Night's Main Event, but like constantly short for Piper matches. I'm just wondering, like, if there's more health issues, but he didn't want to be off camera or, or injuries or something or, or hiding something. I don't know. He just he seems to be in shorter matches even than Hogan. Yeah, he, he hasn't had an epic match yet. Well, of course, but none of these matches have really been that long, Kevin. I mean, what's the longest no, one we, we've had? Even the, shorter. The... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were playing up what his injury angle there. Didn't he have like a knee? Maybe, maybe yeah. for a little bit and stuff like that. Um, so, educator, why don't you go ahead and break down match number three for us? All right. So, start of the match, we see a tie up between Orton and Piper. Orton ends up backing Piper into the corner. Morocco tries to grab at Piper's feet uh, to get involved in the match. Uh, there, there's a breakup between Piper and Orton. Piper turns around. He kind of spits at Morocco, who ended up getting up on the apron. Um, 
And then at one point, Piper goes to swing at Morocco, but Morocco steps down right as Piper is going for the swing to avoid contact. Uh, referee then ends up, Dave Hebner ends up getting involved with the idea that Morocco is going to interfere in the match. So he ends up throwing Morocco out and we see a bunch of backstage agents and security escort Don Morocco from ringside back to the locker room. Once Morocco's now out of the picture, we see Piper and Orton uh, square off and they start slugging back and forth. We see Piper grabbing Orton and he ends up doing a running bulldog towards the opposite corner to take uh, Bob Orton down. We see Roddy Piper stand up Bob Orton. He starts biting on Bob Orton's forehead. Piper ends up Irish whipping Bob Orton into the corner or Orton ends up doing a little flip flop flousy into the corner and ends up hitting hard back into the ring. As Orton is slowly staggering to get up to his feet, Piper squares up on Orton like he's going to lock up again, but ends up doing a double eye poke gouge to uh, Orton in the face. And the referee gets on his case about the blatant disregard of the rules. Roddy Piper ends up doing a big million dollar knee lift to knock Orton down. Uh, He ends up getting a two count from the referee. Roddy Piper with an Irish whip into the ropes, but ends up telegraphing a back body drop attempt. And Bob Orton ends up countering with a right hand that knocks Piper down to the canvas. We see Bob Orton dropping a forearm and a few stomps to a downed Piper. We see Bob Orton with a gut wrench into a gourd buster by dropping Piper abdomen first across his knee. Orton goes for a pinfall attempt, only gets a two count as Roddy Piper is able to kick out. Bob Orton tries to do an elbow drop onto a downed Roddy Piper, but Piper rolls out of the way. As Piper gets up, we see Jimmy Hart getting onto the apron, and he ends up locking Piper's arms to leave him exposed so that Bob Orton can get a free shot onto Piper. So as Bob Orton charges towards the apron where Jimmy Hart is holding Roddy Piper, Roddy Piper scoots out of the way, and Bob Orton... Goes to swing, but ends up hold hitting the brakes so that he would not hit Jimmy Hart, who had let Piper go. Ends up happening that Piper ends up doing a double axe handle to uh, Bob Orton, and the impact causes Orton to cl- uh, fly into Jimmy Hart. That ends up knocking Jimmy Hart off of the apron to the floor. And then from that momentum, staggering back, Bob Orton, Roddy Piper is able to do a roll-up and a 1-2-3 pinfall victory. And that is the culmination of that match. I'm honestly kind of surprised you got so much out of it. It seemed like just sort of a nothing match to me. And, like, some of these things seem to go so quickly for the matches that ends up seeming to bury the person that lost. Like, I don't see Cowboy Bob as a threat here anymore to anyone. You know, it's just like over and done so quick, but they're constantly feeding people again and again. And then, I mean, honestly, you just got to run one quick heel angle of a dastardly attack or beat down post-match or whatever, and you can set up a feud and have someone be a threat again. But it's just, it's, it's a constant turnover for this stuff right now. And I mean, Piper, like, I don't know. Again, I'm still working on it. I still think like he's injured and protected or something here. But he doesn't seem like someone that should be beating up opponents so quickly here, too. I'm wondering. I don't think at this point was Piper. I mean, WrestleMania three, he is his farewell. Do you think he's already taping movies and trying to be protective of himself? 
maybe like I don't want to hurt my body because I'm already got a contract signed for this movie in right. six months or whatever. So I got to make sure I'm not hurt because then I lose my role. It wouldn't shock me. Now he's seen his, his former friend Bob wear a cast for like 20 years. So he knows oh, that inter- know. you know, injuries are legit. You know, yeah. they happen. It's going to be yeah. tough to heal from. So <laughs> I love the cast. <laughs> What do you think that's never another wrestler's never brought that like not like a cast on the hand, but like just oh, Owen Hart did it. Yeah, yeah. but but I'm Owen saying Hart now, I mean, sense. it's I mean, that was like a three, four, three month deal. But I'm just saying now, I mean, only having it for three months too, just having it for, you know, an extended period of time. Who who do you think would be good at that? Uh, WWF or WWE? Anyone, um, I mean. Dolph. Yeah. I could see Dolph doing it. Dolph, I think, could definitely pull it off and use it as a, as a, you know, cheap way to get a lot of wins, work his way up. Oh, Sammy. Sammy oh, Zane. Sammy Guevara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Sammy Zane. Oh, I was saying Sammy oh, Zane. Oh, Sammy Zane. Yeah, yeah. Before. Oh, even better. It's a conspiracy. Yeah. It's not healing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually... I think I, I think he could totally pull it off. And then whoever has it, I want them to walk by Randy Orton in the back and Randy just shake his head. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you don't even have to say anything. Just shake his head and be like, all right. Yeah, no, I know it takes a long deal. <laughs> so uh, we get Mean Gene talking with Piper after the match. Um, I, I actually really liked seeing the after the match little interview. I, it's uh, it's a very UFC sort of thing. I mean, obviously, yep. they do it now um, when you're in the heat of the battle. I wish WWE uh, would do that more, or even AEW. I mean, they don't right. really get the post-match interview um, that often, unless there's like an angle to to come after it. So, um, and then we get Mean Gene interviewing the Hart Foundation with uh, Jimmy Hart. Um, so I had a question for you guys. At this point, was Jimmy Hart storyline related to the Hearts? No, no, there was never any kind of like their brothers, their cousins. Like I don't even think they technically acknowledge Brett and Anvil being in laws. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, I assume they were somehow related growing up, but they never acknowledged it or did anything about it on said anything about it on TV until, I mean, like way, way after the fact, like hearts on his second, um, his second uh, singles run, icy title, so on. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was just coincidental common name, like Smith or like Terry and flash are not related despite having same last name. Yeah, I just wasn't sure that at this point, if they were saying, oh, they're cousins or somehow related, yada, yada, yada. Um, And then match number four on the night is the Killer Bees versus the Heart Foundation. I have a question for you guys, and I don't know if I'm just I'm misinterpreting what I heard. Was this built built as an elimination match? Yep. But then it it wasn't. And then it wasn't. It was just a regular pinfall. Mm hmm. So I don't know if like edited for time, maybe it might have been edited for time and they just use that as the finish and boom, calling it a a day or whatever. But okay, because I was also like, okay, this is weird. It's a it's a kind of a survivor series, which hadn't happened yet. It's a two, you know, two on two elimination. So one's got one guy's out. So now it's a two on one. And then how do you overcome the two on one unless it's the, you know, the faces overcoming? I don't know. Well, also, wouldn't a tag team elimination match technically be a two out of three false match? Pretty much, huh. essentially. 
Nah, I mean you got to pin two different people, but in a way. Yeah. Um, but and and also before the mask, um, which one's Brian? Uh, he's Brian. I'm Brian. I'm, oh, you're Brian. I thought I was Brian. Oh, okay. Okay. He's Brian. I'm bare minimum oh. Brian. <laughs> I like I lo- I love the idea of the bees with the masks. So whoa, 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 whoa. You like twin magic here? <laughs> I I this version's all right. I just what ruins it is Blair's got way too long hair to try to make it happen. Brian Blair, their mannerisms were so different. Brunzel with the drop kick. Brian Blair, anytime he did a move, he does this like weird chicken wing like thing when he's winding up that he's going to punch somebody. Their mannerisms are so blatantly obvious. I like that. I thought this was cool. So it's okay so with Jim Brunzel and Brian, B. Brian mm-hmm. Blair, the killer bees mm-hmm. do it. So you're okay with the bees doing it? But what about Birdie Bees, the owners of Birdie Birdie Bee Lingerie? No. That's not where I was going. No talent. No talent hack models. Oh. So Johnny Ace hired them to get married. Do you guys not see this? (laughs) Is this the bachelor? He became their stepfather-in-law. Come on. So, uh, Kevin, as, as we've discussed on this show, you know, this is uh, season three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Season four is your decision. Yeah. Because season three, the educator picked. Um, mm-hmm. I did season two and season one was just kind of a group. A mutual. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. season mm-hmm. four is you. So my question, Kevin, is. Is Total Bellas uh, considered retro yet? The rule for retro is 20 years. So it does not yet fall into that. Um, also we have had internal discussions of season five. So my season four is kind of limited, but I will say I have a couple ideas. My only concern is how we discuss them, but it does fall into the 20 years. I also want to get my bees joking because treats got a good one. Well done. I didn't see that one coming. Well played. Thank you. I just wanted to say, so you're okay with twin magic when they're both bees, but you're not okay with twin magic when one's a B and the other's a C borderline D. Kevin, stop talking about their school grades like that. <laughs> Why don't we move on? Um, didn't, didn't become borderline D until she kicked out that first kid. Did she like go to like online schooling or something? Yeah. I don't know. So anyways, uh, educator, why don't you break down this match for us? Oh, baby. We got a lot of notes for this one because I absolutely love this match. Fantastic back and forth. So we start with a match with Bret Hart tying up with Jim Brunzel. Uh, Bret with a kick to the gut and a forearm to the back of Brunzel. We see Bret with an Irish whip to Brunzel into the ropes. Brunzel ends up ducking a clothesline attempt by Bret Hart and returns uh, with a flying knee after rebounding off of the ropes to knock Bret Hart down. We see Brunzel with an arm drag and then a quick tag to Brian Blair. Brian Blair climbs to the second rope. And ends up doing a double wind-up with an elbow onto a Brett's outstretched arm that Brunzel was holding for exposure. Brian Blair with a hammerlock and into a fireman's carry takeover to bring Brett down to the canvas. 
Brett is able to escape and eventually scurry over to his corner for Jim Neidhart to tag in. And as Jim Neidhart tags in, we eventually see both killer bees with a double team maneuver, a double slingshot into the ropes with a double back elbow drop to knock Anvil down to the canvas. Anvil eventually gets up and ties up with Jim Brunzel. We see Anvil with an Irish whip to the ropes and Brett ends up hitting Brunzel in the lower back with the referee turned to knock Brunzel down. And we get lots of tags in and out, getting a lot of heat on uh, Jim Brunzel trying to overcome the odds here. We see Anvil uh, tagging Brett in, and we see another precursor to what will be a future finishing maneuver for a duo that has not debuted yet in the WWF. We see Bret Hart and the Anvil end up doing a their version of the demolition decapitation where Anvil picks up Brunzel, lays him over his knee for a partial backbreaker. Bret Hart climbs to the second rope and leaps off with an elbow smash, knocking Brunzel off of Anvil's knee. This ends up becoming Demolition's finisher that they were known for. They go for a two, uh, pinfall attempt, and we get a two-count from referee Dave Hebner. Dave's third match now in a row here. I'm assuming these were not taped in the order in which they are played. Anvil ends up tagging back into the match, and Bret Hart holds up Brunzel, leaving him his body prone, and Anvil hits an impressive-looking standing dropkick to knock Jim Brunzel down. Uh, Anvil starts working on a reverse chin lock. Brunzel tags back in. As Brunzel is trying to escape, we see Bret Hart with a bunch of stomps and boots and forearms to work on Jim Brunzel to keep him down towards the canvas. We see at one point Jim Anvil using the tag ropes to ch- uh, to choke on uh, Jim Brunzel as the referee back was uh, turned as he's distracted as Brian Blair tries to get into the ring and break everything up. Eventually Anvil tags back in and we see Anvil with a press slam uh, to drop Brunzel throat first over the top rope for a clothesline. Bret Hart tags back in and does a backbreaker over his knee. And we see Bret Hart tossing Jim Brunzel through the ropes very hard onto the floor. And we end up going to a commercial break. Coming back from the commercial break, Brunzel uh, does a shoulder thrust as he's trying to get into the ring into Bret Hart's abdominal area and sets up for a slingshot over the top rope sunset flip onto Bret Hart to bring himself back into the ring and gets a two count. Uh, attempt from the referee Bret Hart immediately gets up grabs uh, Brunzel's legs and does a big stiff stomp into the midsection we see Jim Neidhart tag back in Anvil works on a front face lock uh, to work on Brunzel we see Bret Hart tagging in and he gets uh, hit quick into the gut and a backslide attempt on the Bret Hart for a quick one count we see Bret with a side headlock takeover uh, Brunzel ends up instead stopping that and does an Irish whip into Brett into the ropes. Brunzel drops down for Brett to run over to hit the ropes on the other side. As Brett Hart rebounds, Jim Brunzel hits a really decent looking drop kick. Uh, fantastic right and square in the face, knocking Brett Hart down. Bret Hart is able to recover and get a tag on to for Anvil to come in before Brunzel is able to make it back to his corner. It seems like Brett is taking forever to get out of the ring. So now the referee, Dave Hebner, is trying to get Brett out of the ring. 
as Brian Blair is overworking, uh, is working against Anvil's front face lock attempts, he is able to push Anvil into his corner, is able to tag Brian Blair, but because the referee's back was turned because he was dealing with getting Brett out of the ring, uh, the ref never saw that tag. So now as the ref turns his attention to Brian Blair now coming in the ring when he did not see the tag, the hearts end up doing a double team toss of Brunzel through the ropes again onto the floor. The anvil then ends up knocking Brian Blair, who is back on his corner out onto the floor and both men, both the killer bees on the floor. And I, the writing was on the wall. I knew exactly what was coming next. Both the killer bees on the floor, they crawl over to the apron, they stick their heads under the ring, and you can actually see one of the uh, killer bees pull out the mask from their tights. So they're now stuffing their, uh, putting the masks on and trying to do a little switcheroo. And what ends up happening is Jim Brunzel, who had been taking a majority of the punishment, is on the left. Brian Blair, who was almost tagged in, uh, but then got knocked to the floor by the anvil, is on the right. Both of the killer bees now stand up or get up with the masks on and ends up being uh, Brian Blair who crawls into the ring and Jesse Ventura is going nuts on commentary about how it's not fair. He can't tell who is who and so on. So we end up seeing Brian Blair getting back into the ring with the anvil. He's now the fresh guy. It is now a house of fire with a bunch of rights and lefts to knock anvil down to knock brought Hart down who comes into the ring Again, Ventura is just going completely crazy on commentary. We see Brian Blair with an atomic drop to Bret Hart, who's in the ring when he shouldn't be. And he ends up getting pummeled over by the anvil because Brian Blair Irish whips anvil into Bret that causes Bret to fall through the ropes onto the floor. And then Brian Blair locks on a sleeper hold onto the anvil in the middle of the ring. We see Bret Hart from the outside climb to the top rope, hits a double axe handle to uh, break the sleeper hold attempt that now the masked Brian Blair had on the on Jim the Anvil Nightheart. And now the ref is now working on getting Bret Hart out of the ring. So his back is to the two men who are now laid out in the middle of the ring. And now we see Jim Brunzel, who has had a few minutes to recover from all of the action, uh, the beatdown that he had mid-match. He ends up swapping out Brian Blair, and now he takes a downed Brian Blair spot in the middle of the ring behind the referee's back. As the anvil eventually crawls over to Brett for a quick tag-in, Brett Hart comes into the ring. Bret Hart begins to pick up what he thought was the downed injured killer bee from his big double axe handle off the top. He picks up that killer bee who is now really Jim Brunzel and Jim Brunzel does an inside cradle small package for the big one, two, three pinfall victory, an absolute huge crowd pop. And apparently that is now the end of the match as the killer bees are announced as the winners. They scurry out to the floor. They pull their masks off and they celebrate their victory, their win. So this, this Hogan era and, you know, the big physiques and all, I would say that your intercontinental title became like the wrestler title, the work rate title and all with some notable exceptions. But then because of that, I tag teams are what we would see the wrestlers, cruiserweight stuff like that. Your smaller guys that can go seem to fall into the tag teams for this. Um, the British Bulldogs, which we saw earlier, as much as I 
didn't like it at first. The dream team gels together really well. And I mean, Valentine, former IC, but you know, that's probably as far as it was going to go. But then this match, holy crap, there's so much good stuff in there. Like every one of them can go great wrestling match. Uh, Brett hanging on to like the front of, I think it was, um, Jim was in the ring the whole time at this point, but he's like hanging on to the front of its tights, like hitting him, but then pulling him back with tights, like a subtle move, but worked really well, especially for hearts as heels. Um, Jim has this incredible drop kick as Brett's coming off the ropes. Jeez, that was just yeah. like uh, maybe the spot of the night for it. Yeah. Um, and I don't the the B stuff, the the killer B Ella twin magic here there, it doesn't make sense. Like a referee should go, you weren't wearing a mask a minute ago. Why are you wearing a mask now? Like, clearly you're up to something, and I need to ask you both to remove your mask. Like, there's no good reason to cut. It's not Avatar. No, he put it on as he was on his way to the ring. But I don't understand. (laughs) I need to do a double take for a minute, because I'm, like, thinking about the movie, and I'm like, what the hell does that movie have to do? Oh, Al Snow, that's right. Uh, But it really, like, uh, any referee should just stop and go, why do you put the mask on? Clearly, you're up to no good. Why are you doing this? Take it off. Uh, I know we have to suspend logic in wrestling a lot. But also, there's two switches here. So technically, the legal man is back in at the end of it. He's back in and does does the pinfall. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, just he's complaining, which he's absolutely in the right for. Vince could easily counter him for this, too. Right. And honestly, like, I think Vince is so worried about putting over certain things here in his own angle. He doesn't play with it. I think Gorilla and Brain would have been a fantastic call for this match. And I think Gorilla would have made those points and he would have sold this whole Killer B gimmick better than Vince did. Yeah. And Brain would have gone nuts just as well as Jesse did. But I think you needed someone to approve what the faces were doing here, even when those faces were hidden. And I'm sure those masks and the whole idea of the gimmick was merch. Well, so, didn't the toys, because they both had, um, what, uh, didn't Killer Bees have some LJN rubber ones? Like, wasn't yeah, there a two-pack yep. of them? There was, yep. Didn't it come packed with the mask? I think they, I can't remember off the top of my head if they did or not. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's not a cheap set <laughs> to still have the mask. To the eBay machine. On my way right now, baby. <laughs> I don't think they uh, no what they were. You're thinking uh, the classic Superstar Series. They're with the masks. Oh, okay. So we followed it up with Mean Gene talking with Coco Beware with Frankie. And then we get uh, Nikolai Volkov singing the anthem. Uh, Jesse the Body then talking with Slick and Volkov. And match number five is Nikolai Volkov with Slick taking on Coco Beware. Did did Slick get injured between his pre-tape interview <laughs> versus the live match? Because in the live match, we see Slick with like this ghetto arm sling arm and a cast. It's not a cast. It's really wrapped in a bandage. It's something happened, but then in the pre-tape interview with Nikolai earlier in the day, he's got his body turned in a way that you can't see his left shoulder, but you can see enough that his arm is not in a sling and you can see barely his hand kind of behind mean gene. So I don't know if something must've happened during the day and he got hurt or he's nursing an injury, but I just, it didn't come off that well on television later on. No, I, I, 
saw the thing saw the same thing it looked like they were protecting him you know the the angle of it, it everything looked a little suspicious and then when he came out it's like oh clearly something happened but yeah maybe he slipped fell maybe something was like nagging throughout the day he said listen and said i cannot go out there without some support something here i also want to point out though that uh i paused while this was going on and i thought oh there's no time left in the show clearly this must be the main event also considering the star Calburn here. So I thoroughly went through the match and then nope. That's funny you say that because I honestly thought this was the main event and I didn't take notes on it. And then I, I go through it. I'm like, wait, Dick Slater's coming to the ring. Oh crap. I got to go back and take notes for that match. It, there was nine, nine minutes and 40 yeah. seconds left in the entire show, and there were still two matches left. It was crazy. <sighs> so, educator, do you have <laughs> so no- watched, do you have notes for I, this? Oh, match? I do. Yeah, I do have notes, and I'm ready to go through. Do I you just, have notes for the last match. I do not. Because I was going to say, you have notes for both, Kevin. Okay. I mean, oh, is I'm, this a double main event? Saturday night's main no, event? I'm ready to go. We have got, I've got Nikolai versus Coco. I'm ready I mean, to if go. If you want to put on your killer bees hat and slip out of the ring, go ahead. <laughs> we can have Brian B. Kevin uh, slip in there and uh, do everything for us. Oh, I'm Brian. That's why I said Brian. I'm, I, I'm Brian. No, I'm Brian. You're Brian? Oh. I thought I was Brian. Oh. All right. So, educator, why don't you go ahead and break yeah. this one down? So the start of the match, Slick is still in the ring, but Nikolai ends up attacking Coco Beware from kind of from the side, almost behind, starts stomping and forearming uh, Coco Beware to get back him into the corner. Nikolai Volkov with an Irish whip to Coco Beware towards the opposite corner. Coco Beware hits the turnbuckle, but ends up climbing to the second turnbuckle to leapfrog over a charging Nikolai Volkov uh, to avoid uh, that collision. We see Coco Beware with a flurry of right hands, left hands, and a big wind-up shot that ends up knocking Nikolai down to the canvas. Coco appears to set up for, and this was just an awkward, weird bump for this match. He, I don't know if the intent was he was doing a, a head scissors setup, but he appears to set up like he's going to do like a, a Frankensteiner or Hunakarana or whatever. But the way he positions his body, he ends up giving himself almost a power bomb to himself to get Nikolai to roll through. What ends up being a reverse victory roll to get Nikolai Volkov to cut to roll down with the maneuver. I don't know what it was, but it was just an awkward setup for that bump. I really think it was meant to be more of a victor a, a head scissors takeover, but Regardless, we end up seeing Coco Beware hitting two standing drop kicks that will cause Nikolai to eventually crash to the canvas after the second one. Coco Beware kind of does like a diving press or almost a, mo- a modified splash to go for the pinfall attempt. It was impressive to see Nikolai Volkov bench press Coco Beware off his body and kind of launch him away after a two count. Even commentary even mentioned, oh, that was like a 500-pound bench press there as Coco goes flying after that flurry from from Nikolai Volkov. We see Nikolai Volkov with a weird-looking spinning back kick to end up knocking Coco Beware into the ropes. Vince McMahon was like, what in the world was that? And, you know, Jesse Ventura covered, oh, it was a running spinning back kick. 
We see Nikolai Volkov picking up Coco Beware for a press into a clothesline by dropping Coco throat first over the top rope. This is like the third or fourth time we've seen this now uh, tonight during the show. Nikolai Volkov does a scoop slam. He then hits the ropes to do a running knee drop, but Coco Beware rolls out of the way. We see Coco Beware climbing to the top rope from the inside of the ring and hits an impressive top rope drop kick. Missile drop kick for a two count from the referee. Nikolai Volkov is able to recover and ends up doing a kick to the abdomen and then a knee to the gut of Coco Beware. We see Nikolai Volkov pick up Coco Beware for a press slam, grabbing onto the back of his tights to lift him up into the air. But instead of slamming him down, he ends up dropping him forward over his knee for a backbreaker. Nikolai goes for a pinfall attempt, but does a cocky heel picking up the, the opponent after like a one or a two count from the referee. Nikolai Volkov does a scoop slam to Coco in the middle of the ring, and then we hear Slick calling him over from ringside. So Nikolai Volkov ends up turning his sights towards Nik- uh, to Slick on the floor. He goes over for a conference. Apparently Slick is giving him pointers or is telling him what to do to set up for the finish. But in the meantime, Coco Beware is able to recover from that last set of maneuvers and ends up doing a schoolboy roll-up onto Nikolai Volkov for the big 1-2-3 pinfall victory and win for Coco Beware. This feels like it should have been a squash match for Nikolai. Like, Coco just seems out of place. He seems too small. He seems to be missing moves. Nikolai's just bigger than him, overpowering him, everything. I, I know Coco was popular. He was a good one for, you know, this rock and wrestling into cartoony era. But he just seems he shouldn't be a jobber here. He, I, I, and then he wins the match like every 24 7 title change. Yeah. Just rolls him up from behind and wins it. Um, I was writing notes on that, uh, that botched move you're talking about. It looks like he's going for one thing, then he doesn't. He ends up to like just flopping himself to the ground, like when a bird flies into a window that's too clean and they think it's still sky. And then they just flop to the ground. So I'm going to call Coco's attempt there the Frankie Steiner. <laughs> the the pile driver entrance theme. That pile driver hadn't happened yet. That's not until summer of '87. So oh, that really? is a, that's a dub. Yeah, they haven't even done. I mean, think about it. I mean, what else was on Piledriver? Demolitions theme music. They haven't debuted. Girls in Cars. They're not even a tag team yet. True. All right. So, I mean, that's obviously a WWF dub uh, over whatever was his original entrance music when he came in. Piledriver ended up being his second music. And then Bird, Bird, Bird uh, was his third as a single. And then he ended up doing the high energy when he was tagging up with Owen. I mean, it, it sounded fine. Like some of the music, like when Demolition comes out, it's not Demolition. That's a glaring musical change. But right. this one, I like. I wouldn't have even spotted it if you didn't say that. Right. God, I want that album too. Pile Driver. Yeah. I don't even have a record player. I just want it. Was it not on uh, CD? I don't think it was on CD. Maybe re-release cassette though. Probably. Is it on uh, streaming services? I'm sure it's got to be like on Spotify and stuff. Yeah. Somebody's got to have it. I, I just want that Hulk Hogan construction worker cover. Well, here, how about this? How about you send me Saturday morning cartoons greatest hits? And I will send you. 
It also do that. So, anyways, let's follow that up with Mean Gene uh, interviewing Hogan. Uh, never enough Hogan on these shows. I mean, let's no, get him no, as no. every segment. Uh, then we get Mean Gene interviewing uh, Morocco with Mr. Fuji. Uh, Fuji sings during this promo. It's and great. Morocco cracks the beat. He's the DJ. I'm the rapper. I mean, what great, great interview segments uh, on the show. I mean, fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, and then we get the rebel Dick Slater, uh, who comes out wearing the Confederate flag as a cape. Um, and then we get Dick Slater takes on uh, the magnificent Morocco with Mr. Fuji in our main event of the evening. So you know what that means. It's time for Kevin Hellions to put the man in the main event. Who puts the man in the main event? It's Kevin Elliott. Who is the king of that nerd content? It's Kevin Elliott. Who has a Patreon to pay the rent? It's Kevin Elliott. Who used to work in a giant tent? It's Kevin Elliott. All right, so that, as we mentioned there, um, we we all thought that the previous match was the main event with nine minutes left to the show, which means we had like a big old like three minutes left for this classic here. But I did my notes. I, I, I did my work here. All right. So, uh, the rebel Dick Slater versus magnificent Morocco with Mr. Fuji match in progress. Magnificent Morocco beating Dick in the corner. Dick rolls out magnificent Morocco with throat chops runs Dick into the corner. Whips Dick to the other corner. A right hand to Dick. Dick up on... What the heck did I write? <laughs> I can see where this is going already. Wow. Sorry. Uh, Dick up and fights out. Rolls up Magnificent Morocco. Two count. Big right hands and it drops Magnificent Morocco. Uh, elbow to the head, off the ropes, and another elbow. A big old boot spin onto Morocco. Uh, Dick is up top with an elbow, only for a two count. Magnificent Morocco has his feet on the ropes. Uh, Dick punches Morocco, off the ropes again. Uh, Fuji trips Dick. Dick avoids the Calling <laughs> <laughs> the match with Rebel Dick Slater. I just hate you. I mean, I really do. I can't call him Rebel. I can't call him Slater. It sounds like we're talking about Saved by the Bell. All right, back to Dick. Dick punches Magnificent Morocco off the ropes. Fuji trips Dick. Dick avoids another Morocco elbow. Morocco with a big clothesline puts his own feet on the ropes for leverage and gets the pin. Uh, where did that match come from? That has been your man in the main event, main event with Kevin Hellions. Educator, anything you want to add to this dick fest? <laughs> it, it wasn't a good match at all on TV. It didn't translate very well. Um, dick Slater ended up having a short run here in WWF. I don't even think he made it well be, uh, that much more past WrestleMania 3. I don't believe. Uh, I know there. We talked about Corporal Kirchner 
not being a very successful character, even though we, he was, did make an appearance on Saturday Night's Main Event in a previous episode. I want to believe there was thoughts about there being a short-lived tag team between the two, the Corporal and the Rebel tagging up. I'm, I, maybe that's a dream tag team I'm, I'm fantasizing about. I'm not sure, but Dick Slater didn't last too, too long, but trying to get a new character over. I guess the, the whole Freebird thing kind of fell and busted uh, a couple of years back with Vince's attempt to get those guys in, and now we're going to do a different character wearing the uh, the Confederate flag. What's uh treats? What which MM did you find more enjoyable this episode? Magnificent Morocco or the Meat Mountain? Well, I haven't had a Meat Mountain yet, Kevin. Have you had a Magnificent Morocco? <laughs> I have had a Magnificent Morocco though. I I will I will definitely try the Meat Mountain, hopefully when next time I visit your place. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> So that'll do it. We end with uh, Vince and Jesse just kind of recapping the show as always. Um, it's kind of weird that they, like you guys said, threw this match on there. I mean, why throw this match on there just to fill two extra minutes? You feel like they could have just thrown to some more commercials or something or put it, you know. Honestly, they probably could have, you know, done the full Heart Foundation B's elimination match and just eliminate, you know, got rid of this particular uh match itself i don't know or they could have shown like everyone's entrance for a match or something like that right yeah Um, they literally come back from break and they're already tied up in the ring it's crazy how this match is quickly just suddenly starts it's just kind of thrown on there so that's going to do it for saturday night's main event number eight this is where the power lies uh i thought it was a great episode personally i enjoyed it um you know strong matches to start off with and then just kind of fizzles out um, at the end, the end's kind of a, a nothing end for the last 10 minutes of, of the show. So uh, we will be back next Thursday with Saturday night, Saturday night's main event number nine. Uh, Kevin, would you like to know the main event of that show? If I say no, does it matter at all? No, I'm going to tell you either way. Oh, okay. It's just a bit we do. So just say yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So in next week's main event, guys, this is huge, huge. Jimmy Jack Funk takes on Black Jack Mulligan in our main event. Kevin, I'm excited. Black Jack Mulligan's employed by WWF at this point. Apparently, uh, they brought him back for a short run, trying to catch the nostalgia of the Black Jacks. I mean, at this point, Lanza is a backstage agent. No, true. Yeah. yeah. So it should be fun. It should be a fun episode. Um, and of course, you know, we got the run in on Monday or maybe it's a hot tag. Who knows? We don't know what's coming up on Monday. So educator, what do you want to say to the people out there as we leave? Thank you guys so much for tuning in and putting us on your radio or whatever pod device you listen to your favorite shows. As always, please check out the retro network. Thanks again for my two co-hosts today and then this fantastic episode. Uh, look forward to the future episodes coming up. Yeah, and I just want to say, of course, uh, thanks for always listening, downloading. If you enjoy our show, please share it with a friend. Let them know about us. Uh, it's a lot of fun to do. Uh, it's fun talking to two of my best friends here and just kind of, uh, you know, uh, enjoying meat mountains together. So it's... Uh, it's a good, it's a good time. You can follow me on Twitter at Maddie Treats and Mr. Kevin Hellions. Why don't you take us home? All right. <laughs>
right. Thank you guys for another great show. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to Jason Gross and Richard Reader for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow Matt online at Maddie Treats. You can follow me at Mass Library. MassLibrary.com is my home blog. Uh, go ahead and check out the show notes for Patreon, merchandise links, all sorts of other cool stuff there. And we, we've mentioned during tonight's show about buying things and going on eBay and what stuff is worth. Now, I found a lot of three masks, so we're going to get those. I'm going to send two to each of you. And next episode, we will have Trio's Magic. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.